Welcome to This Week in Craft Beer, the podcast, the weekly show where we interview the people making the magic happen in the UK craft beer scene, sponsored by Them That Can, the premier mobile canning service in the UK. Commencing in July 2021, This Week in Craft Beer will be offering meticulously curated craft beer experiences to the world's most exciting craft beer destinations, in partnership with some of the UK's leading craft breweries. Please visit our website for more details at thisweekincraft.beer. This Week in Craft Beer would like to thank our generous Patreon supporters, John Stevens, Angela Peterson, Nick Flynn, Jamie Ramsey, Sue Johnson, Steve Hartley, Jess Hundell, Phantom Brewing Company, Dolphin Brewery, Becky Bentley-White, Alex Possels, Ryan Charlton, and the Paper Mill Micropub. So I'm delighted to welcome to the podcast Mark from Almasty Brewing in Newcastle. Mark has been a mainstay of the Newcastle beer scene for many years, brewing first at Mordew and then at Timebank before starting Almasty in the summer of 2014, named after the legendary Siberian Bigfoot. Mark, please introduce yourself. Tell me about your beer journey and how you came to launch Almasty Brewing. Hi there. So I'm Mark, the owner of Almasty Brewing Company. We've been going for six and a half years now, based up in Newcastle, as Rob said. I used to work formerly for Mordew, which is my first job in brewing which was kind of accidentally got into the whole thing, really, about 15 <laughs> years ago. I had a friend who was a, the head brewer there. He was leaving. He needed someone to move in to start brewing. So he kindly got me a job and trained me up and got me the skills sort of how to brew. And then it's kind of progressed from there. Nice. Moving on to Time Bank Brewery. When that formed, and Newcastle moved on to a new vocation there. Yep. And started getting more into the designing of beers. And then the whole craft thing really kicked off in the UK at that time as well. Yeah, absolutely. It was quite exciting and, you know, <laughs> it was moving on. And then decided where that was going wasn't where I wanted to be going. You know, I wanted to push on with the brewing. The yep. kit wasn't able to produce the beers I wanted to brew and had a bit more ambition on that side of it. <laughs> so I decided the, really, rather than moving, which I didn't really want to do, move away from Newcastle, was no. to kind of set my own place up. was the only option, really, to be doing those kind of beers. And then that was how it was born from there. Fantastic. And so that was the summer of 2014 that you launched Amnesty? Yeah, that was it. Yeah. It was August. We've just moved into this new premises now. Right. Been here. Well, it's been a year. We moved in pretty much, got the kick commission during lockdown. It was all a bit, will it, won't it, hectic. Yeah. And we decided just to plow on, push on. It's the only way to go, really. And we so we just moved side from Shiremore. So that was our next upgrade from a 10-barrel to a 15-barrel kit. Right. So you're 15 barrel and you've got, what's the rest of your kit? So what's the size of your FEs? What's your production output potentially? Yeah, so 15, but still 15 barrel in the FE. Okay. FEs, mm-hmm. But we've got more FEs over here and we just increased to probably twice in capacity of what we had over in right. Shimo. We started off there with a 10 barrel kit with two 10 barrel FEs. Okay. Then we grew to six FEs there and then maxed out the place. And then we took the plunge and moved. And so I found a news clipping somewhere that said that you opened the tap room briefly last summer as well. I guess that was shortly after you'd moved into the new premises, was it? Yeah, yeah. We uh, Luckily, as we moved in, we had a can of machine sat in a box as well. Okay. So just as the pandemic happened, all the kit was here. We hadn't commissioned it. Okay. So we were still brewing at Shiremore while the pandemic was going on. Did our first cans over at Shiremore. Right. Moved everything back over to uh, Benfield. And then... Nice set up and all go from here tap room opened just a bit of a rushed job really yeah. we managed to get it going and <laughs> it worked pretty well given the restrictions everyone was happy you know we looked we got some good weather it was all outside yeah uh, luckily mm-hmm. we've got a, a nice outside space that we're converting at the minute yep and that that saw us through and it was a 
a good cash injection when we needed it. I really can imagine, well. yeah, just for a few months at least, but I'm sure it made all the difference. But And as you say, you were able to start canning pretty much at the start of lockdown, effectively. So you've been able to get your beer out relatively unscathed, would you say? Well, yeah, it just gave us a new avenue because mm-hmm. we were 100% cask and keg right. to pubs. Okay. HIMO. We did do a bit of canning previously, but it, we weren't happy with it, the results. So we were going to wait till we got our own machine. And luckily, <laughs> you could say, right place, right time kind of thing. And definitely. that definitely got us through. You know, we were able to set up the web shop. Mm-hmm. It was basically starting a whole new business. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, a lot of people in that same exact position that I've spoken to over the last six, nine months. And it's, yeah, as you just, as you say, been learning completely new disciplines, new new marketing, new way of dealing with your customers, but it's needs must, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. What was the split between keg and cask prior to COVID? We were probably 60 keg, 40 mm-hmm. cask. Okay. It was pretty, just moving more, slowly moving towards more keg now. Yeah. Uh, but originally when we set up, it was definitely more cask. I can imagine, well, just just by the nature of when you started 2014, I'm sure that that was most of the demand was for cask, wasn't it? Um, We do actually see your cask beers down as far. I'm based just outside Reading, and we have a very good cask pub in Reading called the Nags Head, and they do occasionally have your beer on cask in there, which is probably not many cask beers travel further than that, actually, to Reading than than from Newcastle. So that's nice that they do get those in, and I always have them when I see them on there. I don't actually drink that much cask beer these days because... Most of it doesn't please me, to be honest with you. It's I'm looking for more big hoppy flavours than most brewers put into their cast beers. But you're, you know, I'm not going to accuse you of that because I think your cast beers are great. But I'm often disappointed with the cast beers that I choose. But I, as I say, in, in the Nags Head, we do often get some interesting cast beers, yours included. And so I'll always have them if I see them on. Yeah, I mean, cask, we've always done cask and we won't stop doing cask either because no. it's what I learned to do and it's what we drink up here. You know, it's, it's always been cask heavy yep. and it's it's a great way to save the product. But like for it, I know what you mean, where you're coming from with a hobby <laughs> beer in cask. From the moment that's been breached, you know, you're on a fighting battle there to keep that fresh and sure. tasting good. Yeah, and especially, you know, with lines and how sellers work depends on the pub itself you Definitely. know if you're lucky enough to have a good cask beer pub then yeah you're lucky really because yeah not bad sort of sellers out there no nah, <laughs> no i know and it is a great pub and it's we cherish it i think and i, do, I try to go there as often as i can because i think we know how special it is and it needs supporting how much cask production have you restarted over the last couple of weeks are you starting to think about that or is it still you're not quite there yet no no we're fully away now with a cask to be fair we okay Funnily enough, we did do a, a golden ale that mm-hmm. we were going to put in can and can condition. Okay. We put it out just to pre-sell and it, it all sold in cask. Nice. Okay, great. Mm-hmm. So the demand is there and that was getting pre-sold for growler fills as well. Mm-hmm. And it's just a straight up traditional, you know, golden ale. And so your cask distribution is ready to go next week, basically. Is it out to the pubs in, in the Northeast? Or Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've had the pre-orders in. We've got the core range all getting casked this week then keg next week ready to go out fantastic um, it's been positive but you know we'll see how it goes obviously you don't want to get any idea how it's going to turn out God, and then yeah we'll just ride this wave and then we'll see what happens next. i know i've been doing this podcast since last summer so I've, I've only ever done it under covid restrictions basically so i've made loads of predictions about how things are going to change and i've never got any of them right so i'm not going to start now but it, <laughs> all i know is i'm going to make the most of it starting next week and then as you say we'll, we'll see see where we are in a few months time um Looking at Instagram this afternoon, I can see a big poster announcement there saying you're reopening your tap room on the 30th of April. 
tons of construction work going on to make that happen i can see containers being fitted out and goodness knows so yeah tell us about that and, and where you're up to yeah so fingers crossed it's my turn now i've got to get my finger out and get it finished so <laughs> the professionals have been in so <laughs> hopefully we'll get there but we just converted the, the two containers we had there in storage we've just gutted converting one to a bar and then one for seating when that's allowed to come in and mm-hmm. We've got a lot of outdoor space. We're just going to utilize that as much as possible, really, and, and go for it, really. Have you got um, any covered outdoor space to cover we the, with have, the Newcastle um, weather? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, we've, we've got a good cover just in front of the unit itself. It's about six meters by 16 meters. Oh, nice. Yeah, okay, if, good you know, if, it's, yeah. if it's windy and cold, you know, it's, yes. it's windy and cold. <laughs> still windy and cold, but yeah. even still, that's a good space. I mean, you get, get quite a few people under there. Yeah, um, I, re- I reckon we can get about 120 all mm-hmm. in for the, the whole thing so oh fantastic so you're starting taking bookings now for for saturday the 30th yeah yeah i mean we've got oh, friday the 30th i should say yeah friday yeah we've got um anarchy brewery just behind us i know um, that's right yeah and they're opening up stuff. early on yeah and they've yeah. been cleared out straight away for the bookings mm-hmm. so it's it's looking positive i think people are just yeah. desperate to get out oh, i can imagine those first few weeks are going to be absolutely crazy it's uh yeah people are yeah. just desperate to just get out see some people drink some proper beer in, in public, all kinds of things we need to do that we haven't been allowed to. So yeah, it's going to be great. I can't wait myself. Right. So let's talk about this first beer. This is your green pale ale, 5% American pale. And the tasting notes I have say, a strong pale ale that pushes tropical fruits with the balance of gentle citrus pithiness. Beautifully balanced daily drinker packed full of aroma and flavor, bursting with Equinox, Mosaic and Simcoe hops. Yeah, really lovely beer. It's got great depth of flavour. Certainly drinks with greater depth than, than I would expect, I think, from a 5%. So that's a really nice beer. And I love the balance of hops. I'm a, quite a big fan of Simcoe, actually. So yeah, Mosaic, Simcoe, Equinox, good combination. And I'm really enjoying it. What's the background to this one, Mark? Oh, brilliant. Glad you like it, Rob. It's basically, we modernised our first can that we did, which was the APA. Okay. Which was more of a, an old school. So we kept the hops from that and just modernized the malt bill really on it uh, right. and just a lot more oats and a lot more wheat in there it's extra in as well just to give that body and yeah lovely smooth that still, just, yeah yeah yeah, mm. yeah. and well, basically we knocked all the the kettle hops out of there so it's it's whirlpooled and then we're into the the dry hop with the you know it's it's kind of got that old school feel still though with the sort of simcoe and equinox it's on that herbal spicy mm. side as well as that tropical fruitness and you know that dank in there which is that old APA but not as obviously better it's not a standard it's no in no way an APA but no. it's it's in no way a, a New England pale no. either no it has a nice it's just a hint of bitterness to it but lovely juicy fruit flavors as you say not really nice smooth mouthfeel really enjoying it how is your beer range evolved then you've been at this for for nearly seven years now so that's actually almost like ancient times for modern craft brewery you've been around since before Cloudwater, so you know that's, that's sort of the, <laughs> the stake in the ground at which you know most people are judged and so yeah you guys are old timers so so how's your beer styles and your beer ranges evolved over that time well it's probably evolved with technique of brewing mm-hmm. that's how the well on the hazy side ipa is definitely yeah style you know the stouts with the sweetness and just over the top amounts of lactose, really. That's how that's kind of moved on. And the adjuncts have always been there. They're just yeah. in bigger quantities again. But it's, it's mainly the base of the, the malt base of the IPAs that's moved everything on. Sure. And the techniques with the whirlpool and the dry hopping and quantities and temperatures, mm. you know, to increase that haze again. And it's yeah. really noticeable, obviously, as you beat you. 
we're using similar quantities of hops, but they were going in the kettle leaf you know you had we didn't have the right equipment for pellets no. so now that's moved on again you know originally you know we were dry we were dry hopping in leaf you yeah, know in a course, in a conditioning yeah. tank yep. in bags and you're trying to get this haze and this flavor you know that the kernel's got and you're like yeah. how's he got that i want that <laughs> you know and there's the goal yeah, yeah. right there was like i, I need that mm-hmm. so yeah just technique is basically driven on yeah years. That's great. And you've obviously got a hunger to continue to push that forward and, you know, evolve your, your techniques and your, your equipment, I guess, to, to enable that. Yeah, yeah. Def- I mean, the New England was a boost for that. Mm-hmm. It was getting sort of a little bit samey with it. The, well, the art again now, I would say, to be fair. But at least there's been a new journey to get here. <laughs> yeah, you've been <laughs> you know, around long enough the, to see it all get, you know, the next to, one. Yeah, to see yeah, that yeah, cycle but, go through a few times. But, but it's but, fun, you know, and you get into it and it's addictive as well, especially with hops. Yeah. Trying to get more in there, trying to hold it in there. It's just addictive. You want more always. I bet it is, yeah. And these oh. techniques give you that little bit more, so you want to push that again and mm-hmm. cram it in there, really. Did you embrace New England IPA right from day one, or were you resistant at all to it? I'm not a massive bitterness fan. No. <laughs> like, <laughs> because I, you I, probably I, ought, you ought to be, didn't you, considering your, your brewing heritage? You, you ought yeah, to, well, you no you to favour really. West Coast, really, you know, based on yeah. how long you've been brewing, but... Yeah, I mean, Odell was the one, but that that's, mm-hmm. Odell is so balanced, though, between mm-hmm. the fitness, the booze and the hops. It's just really well done. Yeah, And that was kind of a goal as well, to get a balanced beer out of it. I'm not a massive fan of extreme of one or another. No. I like it all to work and work together. Yeah. You know, you should everyone should be able to drink it and be blown away by it and not be offended by it, I think. I think yeah. there is a way to do it. Yeah, that's a challenge to be so inclusive, though, isn't it? I mean, I, I appreciate it as a sentiment, but... I don't know whether you risk not pushing boundaries by doing that. Do you? I don't know. It's a tricky one. You know, if you, yeah, if well, that's, to me, that's a, more of a goal than being extreme in a certain way. Well, then you kind of, you're labeling yourself there as well, to be fair. Um, let's talk about Newcastle, which is becoming a crazy craft beer mecca, basically. A, you know, arguably has been for, for a long time. You, you know, you're in a great position to give us your perspective of, of the history over the last decade or so. But to my mind now, there's, it's probably only Leeds that has anything like the same sort of density of great breweries for the sides of the city compared to Newcastle. Newcastle it just has a stunning list of really top-class breweries now. Yeah, it's getting... Well, everyone's just stepping it up and stepping it up every year. Everyone's improving. Everyone's getting better. The competition between each other is getting more. <laughs> it's getting more... It's it's fun as well, you know. There's obviously competition there because everyone's so close and you yeah. know, everyone wants to be the best, you know. That's that's kind of why you're doing it really as well. You always have sure. ambitions to be brewing the best beer possible and hopefully yeah. that's better than most. But it's really exciting. and every, You know, it is pushing the whole scene on. The pubs are more into it and that then pushes it on again. Yep. And then the public are more into it. And then that, it becomes a popular thing in the city. And it's taken a while for it to grow, definitely, for more pubs to get involved and get on board. But it's such a small city as well, the city centre. That way. Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty compact, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. So, you, so you know, you it does accelerate things other. as well. Yeah. You know, it's, it's like, kind of like this country and the craft beer thing, the mm. way compared to America, if you look at how fast that moved there and how fast it's moved in this country, mm. it's crazy how quick it evolved over five years. Yeah, no, that's true, actually. Where, yeah, because you know, it took, probably took 20 years or, or more than that in the, in the US to, to make the same level of progress, perhaps. And I guess one of the things that's driving it is the number of brewers training brewers, or a number of breweries training brewers, I should say, that is turning out the next mark that wants to open his own brewery in, in Newcastle, I guess. It's people have been trained, they 
learn the skills and then they want to break out on their own. So that's only going to get bigger and bigger, isn't it? I guess. I... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because everyone thinks they can do better than you, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the nature of it, isn't it? I mean, that's why everybody most people wants to get try anyway. Secretly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't bother. <laughs> and so how do you score the UK craft beer scene in 2021 from your perspective having watched it for the last 10 12 years develop are you pleased with where it's at do you think as it progressed as you hoped it would it's definitely taken turns as it's gone on where i would see originally it was definitely brewery brewer led mm-hmm. then there was a definite switch to say untapped directing what people are going to brew and how they're going to brew it yep. you, could, you know five six years you could get away with anything and put in a casking keg and someone would put it on the bar <laughs> yeah you know it was great but it also increases the standard of brewing as well to a yep. much, much higher level. People's kits are, there's a lot more money invested in the whole thing now as well yep. mm-hmm. than there was sort of six years ago. People open up now. I think it's probably put people off opening up as well because of that level of investment. That I can imagine that's, that's a great point, actually. Yeah. Whereas before you'd be like, oh, all right, yeah, get a Dave Porter kit, 20 grand. <laughs> we're in, man. We're off five barrels. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. We're in business. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's interesting. And, and another perspective is I've seen a few articles lately complaining about the fact that a lot of people that have opened up breweries, particularly in 2020, are doing it part time, which potentially gives them a, an unfair commercial advantage if you want to look at it like that, because it doesn't actually need to make money. If you made your, your retirement income or whatever, you know, or you, you know, you've cashed out, you've sold another business, you're doing it you know, part time, whatever, there's a number of different ways you can get to that. People running breweries potentially that don't necessarily need to turn it into a commercial concern, at least don't need to pay themselves a salary anyway, which I guess is is a good start to taking the pressure off. So it's, it's kind of interesting that people are coming at this, as you say, yeah, there are well-funded startups that are at one end of the spectrum, but there are also other people just getting into this as a, as a hobby, really, because they're just so passionate about you know how great this, this craft beer scene is now. Well, that's the kit's there for smaller production at a high level now as yeah. well, mm-hmm. which, I mean, it's not cheap. And if you're going to invest that money in it, you want to probably get a little bit of it back rather than just having it as a hobby yeah that would be an expensive hobby but i can't see how anyone could run a brewery part-time no matter how small to be honest i can't yeah <laughs> no it's crazy like i mean just last week actually i had a guy called ryan who runs a brewery in preston called chain house brewing who are very highly rated on untapped and he has a full-time job he brews weekends and evenings in his garage turning out new england ipas to die for untapped and instagram love him he's a <laughs> He's one of those breweries that they can't even come close to meeting the demand for his beers, albeit, you know, on a, out of a very small kit. He's got a three-barrel kit in his, in his garage. But he's doing something absolutely amazing, literally at the weekends. Well, that's <laughs> how it starts, though. Mm. I'm sure he probably has got ambitions of more. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Brewing, yeah, yeah, so it's got to start somewhere. Mm. And sure. if you can get away with that and do that, and then it can, that's mm. great. You know, yeah. it'll give you the confidence to do it, definitely. That's the main thing, I think, with people not starting up is am I good enough? Is that good enough? Have I yeah. got the confidence to do it? But if you could get a little stepping stone on the way before you spend a hell of a lot of money, then that's great. And yeah. if you already have something set up beforehand, especially now, if you can create a social media interest before mm. you move on, you could probably crowdfund this brewery. Yeah. You know, not oh, enough he, to get he could absolutely without any trouble at all right now. Yeah. But well, I don't think he wants to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's just another avenue in there, but yeah. yeah. No, that's a good point. Um, so just to sort of continue that same avenue of conversation then, well, how do you see things going in the next two or three years in the UK? It's, I couldn't tell you now. I used <laughs> to have a good idea before COVID. 
Yeah. But yeah, my someone smashed my crystal ball now. Oh, um, <laughs> it's it is really hard to predict because you don't know what's going to happen. No. Um, I do see more traditional English eels coming back in mm-hmm. definitely as because I think that's going to start getting lost, mm-hmm. and I think people won't want that to happen. And if you love beer and beer, you're not going to want to see your your traditional style of brewing disappear. No, but it's disappearing, and then there's shrinking down to specialist pubs like the one I was talking about in Reading. The days when, as long as long as it doesn't disappear, yeah, you know, that that's great. Then it it becomes niche. Then and then it, it yeah. might it it might have a second wave five years time again. That might you know yeah. that might be the thing. Who knows? No, as you say, I mean you know the quality of sellermanship and the the speed at which they're selling the car through, obviously, to some extent, you want it to be consolidated into places that are selling it through quickly enough to keep it in great condition. But that's going to be very different from how it was a year or two ago, isn't it, in terms of the the number of pubs selling cast beer? I don't know. It's I'm sure it won't disappear, um, but I'm not sure it's going to come back to where it was pre-COVID. Um, oh, no, no, no. Well, the pubs aren't going to be there, I don't think. No, no. No, that's the sad fact is that what people lose sight of, I think, is that you know, obviously COVID has been devastating for the pub trade, but the pub trade was already in trouble as a, you know, as an industry, weren't they? You know, and they were still closing and there were lots of pubs that were borderline unmanageable anyway, even pre-COVID. And so none of those are coming back, are they? No, no. I'm just hoping sort of the food and the traditional cask beer, you know, that will work hand in hand. And we'll, yeah. I'm, I'm, I think that's the avenue for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, definitely. A, a, yeah, and I, I hope it does carry on like that. I really do. So in Newcastle, would you say that it's now the majority of pubs that are serving craft beer as we'd recognise it, or is it still just the specialised places? I'm trying to get a sense of how you were saying that's spread, but how far has it spread? I would say pretty much all the bars in Newcastle will be served. In the city centre itself, will be some, yep. serving some form of craft beer, whether they've got Brewdog. Yeah. Just to finish the conversation about, you know, next two or three years. So yeah, cask. Who knows? Cask is, is an unknown quantity, but can and keg and the general health of craft beer as opposed to cask beer. How, you know, what's your predictions there? Well, what's gone on in the last six months is just opened. Nobody had an online brewery shop delivering direct to customers. No, I, it, it wasn't a thing. Mm-hmm. And you know, within three months, boom, everyone's got their own website. Everyone's trying to sell beer direct. It's changed massively. People's habits, yeah, you know, as well. And the cans, it's, it's gone nuts, really. Mm. And it's the only way people have been able to get beer, and it's carried the whole thing on. And it's whether that type of person will go back to the pub or whether they will just carry on with the cans. Mm. So you're right. Three months from now, let's assume that the on-trade is fully open in all its glory and we're all running around without masks on and it's all great. Nobody's going to be shutting their web shops, are they? Why would you? That's a perfectly valid way of you generating you know, much higher profit margin, presumably, on your beer than, than you were through other channels, or at least significantly higher. So you're going to keep doing that, and so is everybody else. So you might not sell quite as much as you were in lockdown, but it's still going to be a significant outlet for your beer. So that surely must eat into the amount of beer that people are drinking in the pub, because less people are going to suddenly double their consumption, which you know, perhaps they will for, <laughs> for some months. <laughs> <laughs> I might, anyway. But it's going to have an impact, isn't it, on pub sales? And so that is going to surely factor in, I guess, a little bit to more pub closures, sadly. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Well, it, it's it's the knock-on effect of that with your wholesaler and your middleman mm-hmm. who supplies the pub as well. So that their can sales are going to drop off yeah. because the bottle, you know, the bottle shops have been really well supported. Everyone's done really well. All the local ones have carried on, yeah. and everyone's been supported. Now, if the pubs doing takeout, everyone's gone on and done their bit. 
to try and carry everything on. So it's going to be there after all this. But whether it's going to be getting cans delivered or going to the pub, we're going to have to wait and see on that one. Yeah, yeah. specialist bottle shops, I still think will be fine. But the, the more marginal, you know, the less specialist ones, if you can use such a phrase, are probably going to be struggling. They probably already have been struggling, actually. I guess the distributors and the middlemen, well, obviously those are still people with jobs that, that are in the industry. So that's still important. Obviously, cask and keg. That's still going to be a distribution. Yeah, that still needs distribution, absolutely, yeah. But cans, they can now order direct from the brewery, get them delivered to their door, cheaper yeah. they can buy them from a wholesaler. Yeah, and all of the DHLs and the UPSs and everybody else have stepped up their delivery game as well, haven't they, over the pandemic? So the, the need for people distributing beer by the truckload, that need isn't really there anymore, is it? You're talking about canned beer. People are going to be sending it by the dozen or the, the two dozen in cardboard boxes now. So that distribution market for cans, I don't think it's coming back. Yeah, yeah, I agree. To to the extent that it was. Let's take a short break, Mark. This Week in Craft Beer is sponsored by Them That Can, the premier mobile canning service in the UK. Them That Can deliver the machinery, labour, materials, and most importantly, the expertise to achieve a professionally canned product that keeps their clients happy. For more information about how you can get started with their amazing services, please visit www.themthatcan.com. So I'm back with Mark from Almasty Brewing from Newcastle for the second half of the show. Mark, let's get straight into it by having you tell me what makes Almasty Brewing different. What is it you're doing and will continue to do to stand out from the crowded Newcastle and UK craft beer scene? Well, honestly, we try to be the best. That is the goal. And we try to produce the best beer possible all of the time on a consistent level. And I think that is what generally we're known for that locally as well. So that is what we try and keep standards so high that we're known that it's just a go-to that it's going to be good. Yeah. You know, and I want people to pre-order new beers without tasting them with the confidence that it's going to be good. That's, I think, where we stand out. Okay. And how do you work towards that or work to maintain it what is it that you do I'm to regimental it's got to be done right and if it's not done my way there's hell no no it's just keeping consistency with the process as well and pushing the process as well like we've moved the difference in the beers from the new kit you know it's noticeable how much better they are with okay better setup right and it's keeping on top making sure everything is done and if there's any issues they're reported and we can fix anything that's gone wrong yeah. Keep on top of it. You know, it's brewing and you're brewing something that has got to be, it's got to be in the best nick possible going before it's packaged. And then it's got to be packaged. To be, you know, there's so many ways it can fall down yeah. before it gets into that can or into that pint glass that you've got to be on top of them. And every stage is just as important and trying to get that ethos into the brewery and into the staff as well. So everyone's in that mindset. And so does that play into more frequent dumping of batches than you might expect from a brewer of your size or, or not? I'd say no, because we are, everyone's got that goal mm-hmm. and everyone's on it. Each stage is carefully done. And if there is an issue, it's flagged up and we don't really have, we haven't ditched that many batches to be fair. It's okay, great. Pretty good in that we're on it. So it gets to that point without any concern. Right. What about new recipes then? Because you're setting yourself a very high bar for i would almost venture to suggest that by having such a an expectation of quality you are you not limiting your potential for experimentation and putting out something a bit out of the ordinary am i overreaching with that 
conclusion. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we just chucked in like a ton of fruit, literally a ton of fruit in one of the beer. <laughs> like we will. I, I have. Yeah, it, there's. It's go for it as well. That's you know we we're confident in what we're doing. Confident in the greens we use. We will push it, but not to an extreme for a mass-produced beer. Right. Okay. Because it, it's it's got a set where it's great, but then you move to a different level, and then your concerns are different, and you've you know you've got a tin beer, or you, it's a whole different ball game. It's a business, like a proper business rather than sure. beforehand. You know yeah. where you could experiment, you had fun, and then if it didn't sell that well, you know it would eventually go. But hmm. now, especially in this time, the pressure's on to sell a lot of beer and a lot of high quality beer as well. Yeah, because the competition is fierce. Yeah, certainly is in Newcastle. To some extent, it's almost like the secret of having your own tap room, actually, isn't it? Is you can afford to experiment a bit more, push the boundaries perhaps on smaller batch beers, knowing that you'll sell it through in a few weeks. You know, you've only got a couple of kegs in the in the tap room. You know, you're not going to sell a hundred kegs of a beer that's really experimental, but you're going to sell two or three kegs of almost anything, aren't you? You know, people are going to come to the tap room and be willing to try stuff. So it's it's nice to have that sort of backstop almost, isn't it, of retail outlet for for your experiments that's exactly it yeah yeah so we got the tap room we're getting the small kit as well mm-hmm. and that's getting world is fabricating that now so that'll nice. run alongside the tap room and that's exactly where you want to be pushing these beers out get the feedback yeah and then go for it from there and, uh, and look and that's why people will come to your tap room as well isn't it that's certainly why i go to tap rooms you know i, I don't want to drink the you know the five percent pails you know much as i love a five percent pale i want to drink the you know the wacky imperial brown ales and the and the crazy adjuncted stuff that that you know people were you're not going to see in the pubs, but we'll, that's where you go to a tap room for taste, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And that gets that freedom back of what mm-hmm. you first had when we first started. And then it makes it fun again, mm. kind of. Yeah. And you've got that freedom of the tap room. And it is it, the whole, but it is just the whole, the way it's changed again. And you need to support that business, but still be pushing things on. And that is a, it's yeah. a great way to do it and get the feedback instantly as well. Yeah. Oh, that, I mean, that's the amazing thing as well, isn't it? It's, you know, you're literally standing there talking to your best customers about this brand new product that you you know you just presented them with and that is a, a unique perspective that this industry has that almost no other industry gets so yeah it's, it's wonderful what about ingredients in terms of that drive for quality so how selective are you with your hops have you been able to be in the last year i guess is one way to phrase the question and presumably you've got hot contracts now you've been in business for a few years how hard are you driving your hop suppliers to make sure you're getting the best well, that's in the last sort of three years that once you've all, you've got to be at a certain size mm. to be getting a certain volume before they start talking to you and being nice. Yeah. You know, yeah. And then you come up on their radar and then that's a time when you can start pressing for the newer season and, and go and selecting certain crops from certain farms, which it, it is, it makes a huge difference. Yeah. You know, first, when we, you know, back in the day working for Moji or whatever, you're going to brew their IPA, you've got to a vac packed of Charles Farham hops. Yeah. That you're in there for 20 minutes with a screwdriver trying to break open. <laughs> and then you open it up and then you, you get one that's inflated and brown, you know, mm. and then you, you know where you're at. But yeah. now you move on. We're, we're dealing direct with Yakima. Nice. And just, it's really nice to open a packet, especially a bale of leaf with just dust oh, all the way around yeah, it. Yeah. You know, and it's it, it the quality and uh, the difference it, it, in the beer. Yeah. It is there, you know, you know, you could back in the day, you could brew a beer, you don't want the bag off, you go, ah, oh, this is going to be mediocre at best, mm. but you've got no other choice. You know, that's what you had and that's what you were given from farms. But now getting direct from the States, nice. you know, we used to pay well over the odds for it, but it was worth it. You're yeah. paying an extra 10, 15 pound a kilo, mm-hmm. but the quality was just insane. 
and then to be able to get that direct now is is it's, it's great it's really exciting oh definitely and, and I, I mean i'm sure that the highlight of your job is tasting a finished beer that's worked out exactly as you'd hoped it would but a close second has got to be opening that brand new bag of the freshest possible hops i mean that's so exciting i'm sure just to stick your nose in there and just just you know imagine what you can do with it yeah oh yeah on a new season as well and it was mm. just in there and then yeah you're just passing the bag around everyone's having a sniff what about new zealand hops have you got into that market very much yet um yeah yeah i mean time bank luckily we got in there early with farms bringing them in and they were mm-hmm. brought they were packaged directly in new zealand and they were pelletized there and came over and they were in noticeable different condition. And we were one of the first ones to get Nelson. Okay. And then we were able to get contract of that straight away. Mm. So we've had that as a constant. And, the, you know, it's, it's just a really nice difference from the US. Yeah. They bring yeah. a lot of different flavors. It's really exciting what they do there as well. And I think they're after different things as well to mm-hmm. the States. Sort of with a wine background and where they're growing. You know, they're after a bit more subtle and a bit more classy, what I say. Yeah. I think you say that. I actually think that the emergence into my awareness of New Zealand hops over the last year has been one of the real, if you're looking for highlights of 2020, and you've got to look pretty hard to find any, haven't you? But that's been one, I think, you know, from a craft beer perspective. I think that the single hop series that Cloudwater did with the New Zealand hops were amazing. And there's been a number of other breweries as well that have, that have really showcased New Zealand hops in the last year. And so that's really opened my eyes as to just how fantastic some of the uh, the varieties are and, and the quality has just been terrific. So, yeah, no, that, that's that's been really interesting and I'm really looking forward to seeing what people do with it this year. But, yeah, great. Let's talk about blended barrels, 10% barrel-aged stout. And the tasting notes I have say bourbon, rum and whiskey barrels have been home to this beer for over 24 months. These individual barrels were selected for their complexity and suitability to blending. A sophisticated medley of vanilla, coffee, prunes and caramel all lay under a faint layer of peat smoke. This beer can be cellared and will only improve with age. And it's best before the end of March 2031, which I appreciate. (laughs) I've been sipping this for the last 10, 15 minutes as we've just been chatting there since we stopped for the for the quick break. And it's just starting to warm up just a touch. It's really delicious. I think the peat smoke is actually the, I think that's the flavor which is most impressing me. If peat smoke can be a flavor rather than aroma. But anyway, you get what I'm saying, that that, that peat taste smell kind of combination. Lovely. You can definitely taste the rum, I think, particularly from the barrels. I mean, obviously, the, the whiskey is coming through from, from the peat smoke as well. But really, this is one of the nicest stouts I think I've had for a very long time. Really enjoying this. Looking forward to seeing how it warms up in the next 20 minutes or so. And I'm sure the flavours are going to develop all that much further. But this is really good. Um, yeah, absolute pleasure. What do you think of it? Oh, cheers, Rob. Yeah, I'm really pleased with this, to be honest, because it shouldn't have been in the barrel for 24 months. It was meant to be. 12 months but with what's gone on <laughs> we kind of had a bit of a setback so the barrel project got put on the back burner for a little mm-hmm. bit and this sat in just the time passed it was so quick yeah. and then we were like this has been in for 24 months we got to get it out now <laughs> i mean it was it's a for the peat smoke it's a we've got two different barrels there there's a lock and dal which is an uncharred whiskey barrel which is a peat okay. smoked which i randomly picked up on a camping holiday while passing an antique store. Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> and they just picked them up from the distillery and we had a little shot from the barrel and I was like, 
80 quid. Yeah. yeah. Sold. I'll have yeah. that. It'll just fit in the back of the van. Uh, we're off home. Great. Let's go. But there's 10 quid um, of whiskey still in the bottom of it. So. Oh, yeah. Here we are. Oh, good stuff as well. Uh, and then it's uh, the other way uh, is a Lefroig, and that's a okay. chard. Nice. Oh, so okay. that, was, that was basically like an ashtray coming out, to be fair. Mm. After that first few months in there, it was like, oof. Yeah. Um, but it came really well. And we had three bourbon. This is all from the same batch of beer. Okay. Just divided into the barrels that we had in stock. We had three bourbon. There was a Heaven Hill and two Jim Bean, huh? which the Jim Bean were really nice, to be fair. Okay. Really good, really good barrels. The rum, I can't remember what that was now. I've just got a question mark next to that barrel. Okay. Uh, we had two of them. One exploded, mm. um, which was... Tragedy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, <laughs> I was just about to go on holiday for that one, to be honest. Uh, and I got a phone call saying, uh, you're going to have to come to the brewery. There's been a bit of an accident. Bring him up. Yeah, yeah, basically. <laughs> <laughs> and then they were all blended together. So there's three bourbon, one Lockendale, one Laphroaig, and one rum. Okay. And that was blended together. And it was just a, still a bit too heavy on the peat. It was just too, a little bit too full on. So we moved it over to the new brewery. Right. And then we blended it with one of the, we had got some Oz Tyler bourbon barrels okay. for the caramel stout and the tiramisu stout that we did. So we put the base beer into those barrels before we gave the adjunct treatment. Um, right. And we blended one of those in with it. And that just brought it round. Okay. You know, and just gave it a little bit more body as well and a bit more smoothness. And it just made it so much yeah. more palatable. And it's pretty much there, I think. Like. This is magic. My, um, my uh, business partner this week in Craft is my cousin Steve would absolutely go nuts for this beer. I mean, we're going to sit on this for another few months, yes, just to okay. let it condition more on the can, yeah. Oh, right, so it's not actually, it's not for sale yet? No, 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 this oh, is wow. going to be, okay. yeah, yeah, we're going to sit on this a few more months. Awesome. And then, oh, that's then good. we'll get that out. Good. Yeah. All right, brilliant. Well, that's, that's that's good to hear. But no, this is absolutely lovely, Mark, and I think this is going to go down really well. This Maybe this could be next Christmas's beer rather than this summer's, but I'm sure it will sell well in the summer as well. It feels like <laughs> a winter warmer by the fire sort of beer rather than a, a midsummer beer, but I'm, I'm sure there's no such thing as a, as a season for stouts anymore. They're, they're in fashion any time of the year, aren't they? Well, yeah, yeah, I th- yeah. I think you're right there. I think that is a thing of the past seasonal beer. <laughs> yeah, I think that was for the cast market. Mm. <laughs> I kind of still do reach for a light, maybe a lager first first beer of the evening if it's been a hot day. But then I'm onto the onto the proper beers after that. But <laughs> <laughs> it's in vogue at the minute. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, no, I'm never going to be on that bandwagon. I'm afraid. But don't don't get nah, me started. It's a, yeah, it's not a real one. <laughs> <laughs> but listen, it's the brewers that are perpetuating this. This is you know you you can sit there and criticise the. Craft yeah. beer fans are being fickle and only rating New England IPAs and Imperial <laughs> Stouts probably an untapped. But if the brewers had their own untapped, it'd be all the lagers that were the four point fives, wouldn't it? Which I, I don't totally don't get at all. But um, oh, know, I don't know about that. Like I think there's a well, not there. all of them. I know, but but yeah. there's a significant percentage of brewers who, if you know, and I'll ask you in a minute what beer you like to drink. But if you ask a brewer what beers they like to drink, a lot of them these days will say lagers, and a lot of them will say, yeah, you know, really lager is. A, purest form of brewing you know it's the hardest beers to get right so you know it's really it's what i want to be brewing don't give me that bollocks you know i'm just not i'm not having that at all i'm not saying it, you know, <laughs> i'm not saying it isn't the hardest i've got I, I, i've got to say it is though we've been doing a pills for mm. five years now and we're, it's still not there like, no, this is I mean, the best batch we've done but okay. but we're not lager brewers like that's that's it's i wouldn't try and do that because it's not what we're meant we're not set up to do no, it's not no. it's not a tradition it's not how many people have got allowed it to allow it that they use properly yeah you know, and use unmodified malt. And mm. we're not on a standard. We're not even close 
to doing that. That's no. why I wouldn't even want to like entertain doing that. It's- but listen, I'm not telling people what is hard to brew and what isn't because I don't know anything about it. But what I do know is that lagers are not the finest tasting beers. I, I have that argument with anybody because it's all very well to say, oh, well, it's subtle and, you know, and you don't appreciate it. But I don't get that people can tell me that a lager is the finest form of beer when it has such a limited flavor profile compared to a, a really deep, complex imperial stout or a, a real flavorsome dipper or even a really nice pale ale for that matter. Those are beers with depths of flavor and real varieties in their tastes. And people will tell me that, oh, it's this lager has got a single note to it, but it's the purest beer. Yeah, fine. <laughs> well, yeah, a purest. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's what it is. Mm. It's the purest because yeah. it has to be. Yeah. by law <laughs> not sure it. no it does it does yeah yeah, right. yeah but um, that's as far as it goes though yeah 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 and as i said you know I'll, I'll reach for one on a hot day absolutely and enjoy it i have one in the garden the night before last i'm having no <laughs> earned it actually just cut the grass but yeah. fact is that's never going to be my beer of choice let's move swiftly on the problem is when <laughs> people send me 10 percent beers i always get too opinionated and the, the second half deteriorates um let's talk about influences mark so you've been in the industry for a decade over a decade who were your uk and international brewery heroes who really influenced you to get into this game got to be the colonel okay from the off yep it was just the kind of time when they were starting to produce their beers probably a year two years beforehand and then it was just next level and you've always lived in newcastle were you able to get colonel beers reliably in newcastle yeah we got a really good bottle shop yeah Reed hills Uh who were probably one of the first ones to get the craft beer but they had a dedicated kernel section oh. you know and it was always fresh as well nice yeah go in and it was just a habit you go in you check the best before bump, and then you're off Perfect. you're taking your three kernels because you know they're going to be solid and you know yeah. they're going to be good yeah and then nice. moving on from that was Odell at the same time okay and then that was an american and that opened up that whole american door to beer and then you mm. you get your old it was more of a disappointment early on because mm. of the beers you were getting, I was like, I'm not getting, I don't understand this. I'm not getting it. Like, no, because then it was going marmalade. very West Coasty. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's yeah. a bit of marmalade. The time it took to get here, the condition it's in, it's far from what it should have been. Yeah. And it was, just, I, I, I just didn't get it. And then mm-hmm. someone started bringing fresh beer over. Yeah. And then you were like, ah, right. This now I get what, yeah, yeah. 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 Nice. What about other UK influences? It's just solidly the kernel. Like, mm. If, if from my era, like he's like God, really. You know, he can't make a wrong move either. And then no. he brings, he'll change a direction and bring a beer out. That's outstanding. You know, you get a dams in London sour, and then you're like, yeah, that's that's unreal. Yeah, I've got to say the ethos. You know, everything just behind the brewery as well. The way why he brews beers, the way he brews beers. You yeah, know, it's, it just seems right. It's an interesting business, the Colonel. When I started really getting into UK craft beer five or six years ago, the Colonel was on everybody's top five list probably you know if you'd asked a random craft beer fan of which there were very many fewer than there are today what their top five breweries would be the kernel would be on everybody's list pretty much and today i don't think that's necessarily the case because they haven't grown as they might have done let's put it that way and and i don't blame them for that because who am i to tell anybody how big their business should be or how fast they should grow but it seems a bit of a shame to me that they didn't they could have been cloud water they could have been the cloud uh, water of the south. He's not pulls apart those breweries. They really are. Yeah. No, uh, but it, 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 he didn't. He never wanted to. 
No, but obviously not. This is I totally get that, and as I say, I, I completely understand that this they're running a really I, I, nice. Like, I've got to go and defend him now. No, I know you do. <laughs> I'm not playing. Well, that's Trump just the way it is, though. Because I've still got, I've still got. A yeah, card yeah. No, I, I totally understand where you're coming from. <laughs> like, if you got into beer, you're not going to get it because it's not as of the same flavor. The same, you know, the profiles aren't there. It's it's not as modern as craft beer is. No. You know, they, they, they're not about keeping up, though. That's not. And that, and so that, because we were talking to you and I about keeping up 20 minutes ago, and that's obviously something that's important to you. Should that not have been important to the Colonel? No, I could see, I could see where the direction, I admit it's obvious to me, and it's, it's a nice way to go. And it's, well, it takes balls to do that as well. Yeah, it does. Absolutely. Like, yeah, it really totally. does. Not, yeah. not to like, oh, I'm going to have to do this, got to do that. Yeah. And if I mean, you know, for years, is, they, you know, they had a tap room on the Bermondsey Beer Mile, which they shut because it was getting too busy. You know, and there aren't many people that shut a business because they're too many customers. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I, yeah, I understand yeah. why they did that because I'm sure, it, you know, they were getting overwhelmed and they just couldn't be asked with dealing with that many people. But that fact in itself kind of illustrates their attitude to the business, which I, I do actually sort of grudgingly respect. I kind of like that, you know, they, they're just <laughs> doing their own thing, aren't they? <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, you could, you know, it could have been like, you know, Michele, it could have been that big. At yeah, that time. It, this is exactly my point. There's no reason yeah. it couldn't. Yeah. Because of the gravity it had when it first opened. But... Everybody massively respected their beers and still do. And still do. So my last word on the subject of Kerno, it probably won't be the last word. There'll be quite a few words after this. But I wish they'd put their IPAs in cans because that's where IPAs belong. And I will not buy an IPA in a bottle, whether it's brewed by the Colonel or anybody else, because... IPAs should not be in bowls. They should be in cans. The reason? <laughs> My reason. No, no, your, your reason why. Yeah, why? because cans are more environmentally friendly. They're lighter. They preserve the beer better. They're just better. Cans are nicer. They store easier in the fridge. Everything about a can is better than a bottle. There are beers, and we spoke about this earlier on, there are beers that belong in bottles. Uh, Imperial Stouts could be one, um, although I'd quite happily drink an Imperial Stout from a can. Sours, a lot of the top breweries that are producing sours in the UK still put their beers in bottles. IPAs deteriorate when light gets through the bottle, don't they? Yeah, but you'd have to move in a can condition and he spent like 40 grand on a bottle in line. Like hmm. it from the start, that was the ethos was bottle conditioned beer and to always bottle condition, yeah. which they have carried on as well. And I think if you change that, then you're changing the they would change who they, they would have to change, I think, hmm. if they went in a can as well. And it, yeah. I think it would just be a bit of an ugly disappointment. <laughs> you know, it's simple, it's nice, it's clean, and that's what it is. So my situation is, whenever I see a kernel on draft, I will buy it. It'll probably be the first beer I buy. You know, I don't see them that often. Well, I don't see any beer on draft that often. So <laughs> I don't know anybody. I used to see them quite a bit in Central London, the craft beer company, one or other of the craft beer company pubs, fair on a fairly regular basis when I'm in Central London. And almost without fail there'd be at least one kernel beer on draft sometimes a couple and i'd always taste them without without fail have a third or half of each and they're always great i won't have a word said against how brilliant they brew single hot beers but i wouldn't buy them in a bottle because they're in a bowl yeah it is a different product definitely mm. from especially if it's conditioning the key keg as well mm. and then conditioning the bottle and then it and again, it depends on how it's kept as well, because I know a lot of people, because it's bottle conditioned, will put it in a warm section yeah. on the shop or what have you, whereas it still should be in the fridge, Yeah, without a doubt. But I want to just end this little segment by saying I still do massively respect them as, as a brewery, and I think they've been one of the 
five most significant UK craft breweries to date, I would say. Oh, yeah. um, I, I do not think the level of brewing in the UK would be where it's at no. without essentially that starting point, which mm-hmm. was so high. Yeah. And such, you know, such a goal to shoot for for everyone. You know, and, and now everyone can brew that. You know, every, no one could brew that IPA that he could brew. That was the thing. Mm-hmm. No one knew how to do it. No. Knew, that was the goal. You know, it's the journey of like, how do I get this more? How do I get this in? Mm-hmm. And you start talking to the other brewers and they're trying as well. And you're like, you put T90 hops in the FE while it's <laughs> fermenting. What? <laughs> what? You know, it's just like these light bulb moments. And then you taste the result and you're like, mm-hmm. shit, that is it. Yeah. I'd love to hear them do I, I'm, I never have heard an interview with them. I'd love to hear one. I don't know if they do. You know, I'm not sure they've ever done a podcast. I'm sure they won't do one with me, but uh, I'd love to, no, I'd I love to listen to a Twitter account. <laughs> I'd love to listen to them interviewed. I don't know. Uh, but anyway, that's, we can dream, can't we? Let's move on whilst I've still, uh, before I offend anybody else, probably <laughs> we lost half the audience already tonight. So <laughs> um, let's talk about Almasty. What beers have you got coming up in the next couple of months? Next couple of months, we've, just well at the minute we're in tank we've got a papaya and mango kettle sour nice abv that's gonna be seven and a half Mm, lovely Um, with just a touch of lactose in there as well we've just been working on the kettle sour Mm -hmm. and it's just you know gradually just doing the process just to clean it up and try and get the cleanest kettle sour possible okay for the ad the base for the adjunct and that's kind of how we work the brewing process how we brew Try and split the beer up into its sections of journey and how you're going to deal with it Okay. as it goes through that as well. So you want to get a certain beer to a certain point at a certain time, and then it's ready to move on to its sort of next stage of life, sort of with right. the barrel age beer as well. Or, you know, when you're adding adjuncts, it's that constant tasting that you're going to be doing in tank and then right. decide to pull it. And then that's when it's in the bright, you know, mm. and that's more the excitement of brewing as well. Yeah. So that, that's on its journey now. We're not really sure because we've always just upped the fruit as you do, as you've moved on with it and then see where your limit is. <laughs> it's generally limited. You're generally limited to your kit, really, yep. is that to the beers you can brew. Yeah. That is what I found. You know, you, you're just getting too much fruit in, there's too much trub, mm-hmm. and then it just ends up not, you know, commercially viable at the end. And then yep. you get about a thousand cans out. And realistically, there should be 30 pound a can, but you've got to sell it for like... <laughs> You know, ten. <laughs> Hard to justify a thirty quid a can or anything. I'm afraid. Yeah, yeah. sorry, we had a shit brew. You've we'll got to pay there. three times the price. Give it a few years, we'll get there. But I don't think we're quite there yet. I think if no. you were five, you know, five years ago, if you'd been talking about ten pound a can, people would have struggled oh, with that. But we're there yeah, now, yeah, aren't we? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. But it's it's purely on adjuncts. It's just, and that's just we have a sure. base yeah. price, and we just add the ad, and it just, and you're like, well, that's what's going to be, and then you go, right, well, we can't literally sell it for that, so we're going to no. have to cut back. But that argument has been decisively won, I think, by the brewers. I think people, at least there's a hardcore of craft beer fans now who get the cost of these beers and are prepared to pay a fair price for a well-executed example. I think that's... Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, you're putting a grand of vanilla in, yeah. you know, and it, you're still it's not just, getting what you want. No. Like, it's, it's, you're, you're still like, oh, I need, I need two grands worth of vanilla in there. Jesus. That's no. what you want. But, yeah. you know, that's where the taproom beers come in, where you can be excessive. Yeah, you know, yeah. And, and and you can't get you know ridiculous beers out there, and you're like, yeah, you know, is- people, people for a really special beer, people will pay six, seven quid for a third, aren't they? In the tap room, if if it's something really special, then then that's where you can get away. You know, you can really go to town with your with your ingredients list. Yeah, brilliant. What else you got? We've just packaged our first barley wine as well. Okay, nice. Uh, which turned out really well. We're, we're really pleased with that. To be fair, like it's. it's is that bottled or canned? 
that's been canned. Okay. Yeah. Um, we got that's this fine. I don't mind that, knowledge. by the way. I'm not, I'm not no, no, no. It's, uh, well, that was a bit, again, we don't went. Don't have to go defensive like... on me. It's all right. <laughs> <laughs> but I know it's wrong. <laughs> but we had some body wines and cans beforehand, before right, we brewed it. We, Three thirties or four forties? That was four forties we got. Four forties. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, nice. It's surprisingly drinkable as well. 11%. Okay. Um, okay. Nice. It's floor malted Marisotte, right. number 19 from Crisp, okay. uh, which was noticeably different. Friends uh, of This Week in Craft Beer, Crisp Malt. Yeah, nice guys. Oh, yeah, yeah, great. Beautiful malt. Three hour boil. The color change was huge. Mm-hmm. Um, the marzipan, like aroma on the boil was just mm. fantastic. Just English hops in there as well. Mm. And then we've got, God, we've got three barrels and Madeira. Two Madeira and a Moscat, I think we got. So that's been barrel aged as well now. So that's going to sit nice. in there for a year. That'll sit in the cans for a year. We'll release that and then package the barrel aged and then rebrew. So we're going to do this as a yearly event. Okay. Along with the Imperial Stout when we're back on track with that as well. Nice. Yeah. yeah. So that, that, that's been really good. But that during lockdown, we've had a chance to brew a lot more exciting beers that okay. we would want to, but under pressure to get the pale ales out you know yeah we've managed to set up the old brewery we've got two 10 hectare sorry 20 heck fooders in there okay uh, that are filled and they've nice. been in there for six months now oh wow brilliant about, about 20 barrels up there as well mm. now that was all pretty much summer as well mm. just getting beer in there inoculating we've got the cool ship beer that's now in a year two fantastic um so we're just looking to start working the packaging in for the sour beers to run it alongside the baronage stouts hmm. and then we've got the pale ales and that's that's pretty much been my goal from to be fair the sour beers is what's driven the whole thing hmm. whereas i realized quickly that was going to be a hobby right until we got to a certain size so the game was then scale up to be yeah. able to brew the beers that i really wanted to brew but i mean the and, demand for sours is off the charts now isn't it i mean you need do you feel pressure as a brewer to have some sour offerings. I mean, you know, people are expecting it now, aren't they? Well, yeah, I think given what's happened in lockdown next year, I think we're going to see a lot, a lot of barrel-aged sour beers yeah. and mixed firm stuff coming nice. out. Nice. Yeah. I, I think everyone just <laughs> filled their boots basically while the downtime, everyone was doing the same thing, I think. Right. So yeah. it's going to be a real good time for that in mm. a year's time. But that had always been the goal was to get to be able to brew, commercially brew sour beers and make a living at the same time right yeah because all of this stuff it's fine you know eventually when you hopefully get it packaged you know you can sell it at a premium price but between now and then there's several years of bills that need to be paid aren't there so it's kind of <laughs> yeah it's, yeah exactly. it's a yeah. tricky balance to strike and you don't want to rush them they take you know you've left it in there a year and you're like well let's give it another six months another yeah. nine months you don't be like all right we've got to get this out we've got to get it refilled mm. we've got another beer due it's not what it's about no no, nice. <laughs> Let's talk about what you like to drink. We've spoken about what you don't like to drink a couple of times this evening. What would be your preference? Mine would be a 6% IPA. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's generally my go-to. It's got just enough level of flavor, not too boozy, and it's just round. It's just there. Whereas just, four, just, just, you're always like, I wish I You know, it's good for classic. It's good for a 4%. Like you want an IPA, really. A double, great. But, you know, you're going to sink a couple of them and then you'd be like, ah, oh, that's me done. But yeah, 
No, I know exactly what you're saying. Yeah, a well-executed 6% IPA, there's enough alcohol there to hang several flavours off of. What would be your extent of bitterness and fruitiness? You know, what, what, what would, can, can you give me a, a specific beer or two that, that would illustrate oh, your... I, I would drink Believe by okay. Almasti all day long. All right. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And so should everybody else. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Any, any well, you can, can I, measure I, from the competition, perhaps? <laughs> I mean, you've got to, it's just people who brew to us. You know, it's cloud war. There's a, there's a reason, you know, they brew quality beer. Again, that's what we, you know, we try and you see the benefit. You know, that's the goal is to have <clears throat> absolutely spot on beer going out. No one gets a bad can. No. You don't want anyone to have a bad experience of your beer. No, you, no. If you were sat there, you'd be good seeing them drink that and you'd be so apologetic and give them a 24 key you know there's going to be a good one in there come on <laughs> you know that's just a brewery of a certain level and there's a reason they're consistently good you know like you've heard it now especially now they've moved and they've dialed and you get in yeah you know the levels moved on again noticeably yeah, yeah. So, yeah. i mean i don't want to get into listing all of them but we've got there's a dozen or more that i could quite happily name that, that are at that level i think in the uk now we've got some fantastic craft breweries how do you decide what's next for you in terms of beers? How do you research the competition? Have you got a little black book of recipes that you know you're going to break out you know, in the next few months? What's your thought process? Generally, we look at what's on trend. Like you have to, mm-hmm. right? That that is the way certain beers are, are going. But then you have your own collection of beers that you want to brew as well. That. You want so to sort of evolution the schedule your, yourself. Evolutions yeah, yeah, yeah. of your of your things that you really like and that you think you can. Yeah, well, it's on pushing off, yourself yeah. again or pushing the yeah. kit. Like again, well, we've dialed the new kit in now. That was the idea of the core with the green. The yeah. believe the simple pleasures was get this kit dialed in, get used to it, get familiar with it, okay. and then start abusing it. Mm-hmm. You know, and then start pushing it to what what it can do, and then find out the new limits of what the beer is going to be, and go yeah. from there. Really, and so. As you say, you, you know, you keep an eye on what the market's demanding. How do you do that? I mean, do you, are you thumbing through untapped? Are you, you know, you, you're going to the free trade in? What does your research look like? It, five minutes on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> look through what's happening in America okay. and then switch to the UK mm. and then give it a month and then you got it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's it 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 is a car at the minute it is it is a bit of a carbon copy like even to the fact down to what people are doing on Instagram is these are the employee month you know it's got to that level of mirroring what's happening in America yeah. it's ridiculous like yeah. we need to set our own stall up like we need to get more of a UK scene as yeah. an identity going I think whereas we're a bit on the tail of America but yeah. you know I think we can advance this and push it on ourselves quite a bit. Yeah. Again, for the speed we got to where we are now, yeah, we need to start creating our own brewing identity. Really, I think. And um, are we not seeing that a little bit with some of the leading UK brewers starting to experiment a bit more with traditional British styles, whether that's Best Bitter or Brown Ales or Mild? Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. like I say, I'm hoping that style of beer will start coming through again, mm. and that will be, you know, a wave or a new fashion style of brewing for a while but it will but it's it's only got a certain market as well mm. and those type of drinkers may not necessarily buy that the price the price points are the well. challenge aren't they yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah mm. definitely but if it can be priced accordingly for the hops that are used in the ingredients that are in it 
Yeah. It's just getting that, getting that right, getting that appeal as well. Like I said, that, that is what we were trying to do with the, the golden ale when we were going to can condition it. It was to go up against the bottle. We were going to do it in 500 cans yeah. to compete against a traditional 500 bottle conditioned mm-hmm. classic English style beer. Yeah. And I think that would then draw people over from that camera kind of side. As yeah. much as camera they are, if you take Newcastle, for example, you'll find most of the camera members in Brewdog. You yeah. know, drinking 10% keg beer because they get discount. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so that's as far as it goes, really. Yeah. Like, but to move the majority of the drinker over into this can market and to yeah. get a much better, you know, product as well, because it's brewed on better kit, it's, there's yeah. a lot more gone into it, a lot more science gone into it as oh, well sure. to get that package, yeah. you know, in perfect condition that mm. it would be better. And then they would drink a cask beer at the pub and possibly complain because they'd be like, I've had this on can and it was way different than this. Yes. You know, it's, this isn't right. I've, yeah. I've got, there's an issue with this beer and then put the pressure on the pub to sort the cask, you know, lines out and the cellar and out. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's a, there's, there are several steps to that, that wish list there. I'm not sure whether you're actually. Gonna... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We could be a button. <laughs> not we're going to get all that way, but we're, you know, we, we no, can, no, we can no. hope, can't we? Yeah. Um, well, Mark, if people are looking to get hold of some excellent Amnesty beers, what are their options? Directly, you can go onto the website at almasty.co.uk right. and you can order for delivery and trade as well, can order off there as well. Okay. Um, and you could just email the brewery directly or just call the brewery for an order. And the main avenue is the website for, okay. for public sales, to be honest. Yeah. And obviously every bottle shop. And if they haven't got it in, just ask your ball shop. They you know? should have, yeah, and, definitely. Yeah. And in terms of your draft and cast distribution, can you make a brief comment on, on where people are going to find that as things start we, to open up? Well, I, I, previously, we, we were pretty much, I would say, national, but in selected independent craft beer bars. That's where yeah. you would find it. And hopefully that'll come back again. It's slowly starting to come back now. When we get cask and keg nationally again, would be great. Yeah. And again, if it's not in the pub, just ask, and then we'll be dealing with a wholesaler that that pub deals with. Sure. If it's if they're, if they're dealing with craft beer, brilliant. So let's talk about your can club, which is also available from your website, because I think that's something a, a little bit different from what I've seen other brewers do there, where you've got sort of multi-month subscriptions that obviously offer nice discounts for people signing up to receive the the subscription box on multiple months. And I guess you know it's also a it's a kind of a pay it forward approach as well in that, you know, people are, are committing to support the brewery, which is fantastic. If people, you know, are in the position to do that, that's brilliant. But yeah, t- t- tell us what the can club consists of. Yeah. Well, that, that came about just when we launched the, the website and the shop as well. It's like you say, it was just instant cash sort of generator. And it was amazing that people did commit yeah, straight absolutely. away, which, yeah. you know, was, was, was great for mm. everyone working really it was just a good positive really boost no i bet you know all right it's going to be all right we'll we'll be mm. okay and it's a case of we do three sort of specials a month and then we've got our three core that are continually running we've got the green that we sampled earlier yep. on we've got our simple pleasures which is a four percent pale ale and we also have our believe which is a six percent ipa which is more towards a new england style yep. and then they're packaged together and then every month you get a box of 12 with the core and two of each of the specials Nice. And, and the, the can club is a minimum three month commitment, I think, isn't it? And then you've got six and nine and 12 month options as well, obviously at discounted uh, progressive discounts. Yeah. I think we're going to, we're just looking at to revise that as well as where you can opt in for a month and then opt out again and then opt back in if you want. 
Yeah, yeah it, may, it makes sense. You'd offer, you'd offer that one month at a slightly higher price to, to give people that, that option, yeah. But it, it's great. I, I think these subscription boxes have been a real, you know, one of the innovations that's come out of the last year that people have really catched on to. So, you know, I think it's a, it's a good thing, and I'm sure they'll, they'll continue to, to be popular. And you throw in a – I saw you as well, you, you include a merchandise item each month of uh, non-specific, but uh, you get you – know, Yeah, get yeah something that's, different that's been month. quite fun actually doing that, to be fair. <laughs> I think we've got we've got a lot of sunglasses and uh, notebooks kicking around at the minute. <laughs> Excellent, no, that's fun. Yeah, no people people like to have that merch, don't they? It doesn't you know, it doesn't have to be massive value. It's just nice to have something with your brewery logo on it. Excellent, Mark. I have two traditional wrap up questions. The first of those is what I call the shout out to the little guy, and here I ask you to mention a local, probably Newcastle or certainly northeast beer business. And that can be another brewery, perhaps a tap room, a bottle shop, a pub, even a cafe or a restaurant that you think is doing a great job in the service of promoting independent craft beer. I'm going to have to go with a free trade in mm. pub in Newcastle because <laughs> um, Mick will kill us if I don't. Yeah, um, I, did, I dropped the name a couple of minutes ago, <laughs> didn't I? <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's a great pub and it, it has been at the forefront from the off. Even yeah. when it was, when I worked at Mordew, they were pushing cask. Mojo IPA, nice. you know, Amarillo hops, mm. you know, they, it was, they, you know, from then on, it's always been, before it was a beer bar, it was a beer bar. Mm. They just didn't know it. <laughs> <laughs> it probably is one of the top 10 sort of legendary UK craft beer pubs that most people would, you know, if you, if you force people to sort of write a list of the best craft beer pubs in the UK, that would be on most people's list. So great shout. Um, Looking forward to calling in there myself in the very near future. Let's get into the wrap-up question. And here, what I want you to name is your ultimate happy hour. And I'm looking to know where you would be, who you would be with, and what you'd be drinking. This is a non-COVID-restricted question. So there's no question of social distancing or PPE. And you can mix and match. So you can be on a desert island drinking a pint of Wylam cask, for sake of argument, or Amnesty cask, for that matter. So be as creative as you like, but uh, let me know what your combination of ultimate happy hour would be. I haven't thought about this one, Rob, to be fair. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. I like um, answers on the hoof. I'd have to, it, to be honest, I'd have to say it would be on a beach, just on an island called Grid Barrier Island, just off New Zealand. Okay. A drink in a Michele single hop. Nelson Sovin. I thought he was going to say a lot. From when it was bottled. Right. From when it was in bottle, though, because that's better than it was. Strangely enough. Good angle. I like it. Yeah. 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 It's when they had that, that block mm. color label mm. with the name of the hop written on. I think nice. it was pink for Nelson Sovin. Yeah. But those beers were unreal. Um, okay. Yeah. And, but, uh, but the Nelson would have had to have been shipped to Denmark and be brewed and then shipped back down to, you know, to sure it's going to survive the. Uh... <laughs> The journey. Well, yeah, in, in my fantasy, it's been carried in. Oh, ice. okay. Mickler have got a New Zealand uh, brewery over there. So. <laughs> nice. But, and um, you haven't told yeah. me who you're going to be with. It's the missing link on that question. On my own. Oh. <laughs> the reason I'm laughing, actually, is because I just recorded a bonus episode of the podcast last week chatting to a friend of mine that runs a travel podcast. And we, got, we were talking about taproom tourism and basically how we go about researching trips to tap rooms how many hours we spend on google plotting out this you know going here and then i'm going there and i'm going to do this and i'm going to do that and i admitted on that 
um, conversation that I'd sooner be in a tap room on my own. I want to go to a tap room and I want to sit there and I want to try and have that beer and then that beer and then that beer. And maybe I'm going to move on to the place down the road or no, I'm going to have that beer first and then, okay, I'm moving now. And I don't want to have to negotiate those decisions with anybody. Yeah. You, know, you want yeah. to be able to just <laughs> please yourself. And I know it sounds terribly selfish. You're going there for one reason though. Sure, yeah. Excellent. Hey, Mark, this has been lots of fun. Really enjoyed chatting with you. Really enjoyed the beers. I've almost got to the bottom of your wonderful blended barrel-aged stout, and this is really lovely. So, you know, I think that anybody that manages to get a can of this when you finally release it this summer is in for a treat. Yeah, no, thank you. Appreciate it. Commencing in July 2021, This Week in Craft Beer will be running meticulously curated long weekend tours to the world's most exciting craft beer cities in partnership with some of the UK's leading craft breweries. Destinations for 2021 will include Copenhagen, New England, Brooklyn and Miami. If you fancy joining a small tour party led by a leading UK craft brewer as we experience a packed long weekend of meet the brewer and tutor tastings at some of the leading craft breweries on the planet, please pay close attention to our newsletter and website as we make new announcements each week throughout April and May.